Welcome to part two of the point of scripture. And in this video, we're going to be taking a look at how the point of scripture is to reveal Jesus. Now, you might be thinking that that's kind of the same type of thing that we looked at last week. And in some ways it was, because last week we were really looking at how the point of the scripture was to point us to the Messiah. Well, for those of us who are Christians, we're followers of, of Jesus Christ. So yes, the point of scripture revealing the Messiah, it's also revealing Jesus. Those two go hand in hand. But now I want to focus a little bit more on how Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. Because the, the simple fact of you saying the point of scripture is to lead us to the Messiah or to tell us about the Messiah does not automatically say that Jesus is the Messiah. But that is the claim that we as Christians are making. And that's a claim that the New Testament makes. And that's a claim that I want us to see uh, how the New Testament uses the Old Testament and shows us that the point of these scriptures, it is to reveal Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself seems to be a sort of a lens through which all of the early church and the apostles viewed all of the scriptures. I hope that we can learn some of those types of habits as well. So the point of scripture to reveal Jesus. Now, obviously God has revealed himself uh, through a lot of different ways. That's what the Hebrew writer talks about. In Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two, we read, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Now, this chapter goes on and it praises the son, who, of course, is Jesus Christ. But we find out that, you know, God has spoken and he's used different methods before. You know, God has uh, has directly intervened at times. He's directly spoken. He has spoken in visions. He's spoken in dreams. He's done all these other things. But now whenever it comes down to it. We see that in these last days, which we are living in the last days, and we have been for the past 2,000 years, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son and through his son. And, you know, his son, Jesus, has revealed a lot of things about himself to us. Now, there were a few occasions that even Jesus himself said, I am the Messiah. One of those that always amazes me comes to us from John chapter 4. So in John chapter 4, before we get this, don't, don't read ahead, just, just wait just a moment. Before we read this in John chapter 4, this is the story that you probably know. It's the woman at the well. Now she goes to the well and she's just drawing water and Jesus is there and he asks for a drink. Now the, the interesting thing about that is she's a Samaritan, he's a Jew. You might say, big deal to us. And yeah, it doesn't seem like a big deal to us. It actually was a big deal to them. And we see that the, the woman, uh, because she was a Samaritan... Uh, and Jesus, because he was a Jew, they shouldn't have really interacted with each other, but they do, and they talk. And in this conversation, Jesus kind of pushes her in many ways. And she eventually realizes, oh, he's he's a prophet. So then she's got a religious question, and, and then it just kind of gets into, you know, whatever. And then she's just like, oh, well, uh, that's where we pick up here. She goes, I know that things will be sorted out in the future. Uh, maybe it got a little too deep for her. She didn't understand where it was going. And this was her response. Verses 25 and 26, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So this is one of the few occasions that Jesus himself plainly says, I am the Messiah. You know, he says, I, the one speaking to you. Yep, me. Okay. I am he. I am this Messiah that you're waiting for. 
And whenever you look at the woman's response, you know, she starts running to the village and she starts saying, you know, come meet this guy that told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? Yes, he could be the Messiah. He was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And the scriptures pointed to him. That's why even a Samaritan who was kind of thought of about being kind of a lesser citizen sort of and, and only partly having to do, you know, kind of partly related to the Jewish nation, nation, although not uh, not fully, um, she would have been considered an outsider. But now she gets this insider information that the Messiah has come. And we see this is one occasion that Jesus does reveal himself as being the Messiah. And last week we also said, uh, we, we looked at a, a passage that spoke about how um, Jesus, after he was raised up from the dead, he said that scripture pointed to the, the suffering that the Messiah was going to endure. We get that at the end of Luke's gospel, and I just want to read a, a couple of verses there to remind us about what we looked at last week. In Luke 24, verses 45 through 49, we read, Then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So this passage, Jesus clearly says in verse 46, look, this is what was written. This is what the scriptures are about. This is the point of them. Now, it's not the only point, but it's a big point. And this is what was written, that the Messiah is going to suffer, he's going to rise from the dead, repentance and forgiveness of sins are all going to be connected with this Messiah. Which, by the way, this passage right here, Jesus' own words are going to be shortly fulfilled on the in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Now, on the day of Pentecost, that's whenever the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And he reveals himself in a very interesting way. People start speaking in tongues and it's it gets a lot of attention. And part of that attention causes them to give a defense for what's going on. Peter, he stands up and he starts proclaiming that the Holy Spirit has come in their midst. But then he quickly shifts from, okay, it's not just about the Holy Spirit coming in our midst, but look, let me tell you about Jesus. And he goes, gives so many different passages from different parts of the, the Old Testament. And he says, this passage, this passage, this passage, they all point to Jesus. Let's look at there and uh, let's see in Acts chapter 2 what Peter says. Now, we are jumping into this sermon. I kind of gave you a bit of the backstory, but in verses 22 through 24, Peter says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You see, this passage, what Peter is proclaiming is that Jesus of Nazareth, this, this guy is more than just a guy. He's the Messiah. He's the one that he was accredited by God uh, with all these miracles and, and different things. They knew all of that. They saw that. That's, that's actually kind of Peter's defense in verse 22. Then he goes on and he explains to them what they did. They ended up putting him to death, but that's not the end of the story. He raised up from the dead. What do you think that means now? Well, he says this was also prophesied in the scriptures as well. 
verses 25 through 28. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. So this passage right here is one that Peter groups in and he says, this is talking about Jesus. And he also says, especially here in verse 27. Um, now, this is where we, we need to understand that the way that the New Testament used the Old Testament is perhaps a little different than what we think of today. You know, to us, many times we just think that there's only one meaning behind scripture. But when you look at how the New Testament explains it, we see that like they just saw Jesus everywhere. Even though this passage or that passage might not have originally been talking about Jesus, it has a fulfillment in Jesus. It has a fulfillment through Jesus and what he's done. So this passage right here in verse 27, uh, regardless of, of perhaps one of the immediate ways that David was using this and talking about how God is not going to leave us in the realm of the dead, um, what we see is it, this passage, verse 27, has its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was not abandoned to the realm of the dead. He was raised up from the dead. And he is the Holy One who did not see decay. So these passages get their ultimate fulfillment through Jesus Christ and the life that he lived. David is the one that prophesied this. But Peter goes on and he says it's not just in one passage. It's everywhere. Verses 29 through 33 now. Peter says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. Let's pause right here. Everyone knew at this time where the tomb of David was. They knew it. And so what he's saying is, look, David's not just talking about himself. He's talking about something greater, something bigger. He's talking about Jesus. Let's pick back up in verse 30 now. But he was a prophet. David was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. That's Peter's point. Peter's point is, he starts quoting some of the Old Testament, and he says, look, David's not talking about himself. We know that David died. We know where his tomb is. He's talking about one of his descendants. He's talking about the Messiah. And guess what? The Messiah has come. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life. And he says, we're all witnesses of this. Jesus is the Messiah. That's the point that Peter is making. But, you know, as you listen to that message and as you hear it, uh, if they didn't kind of realize it at this point, um, Peter gets a lot more specific and just really drives this point home that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Messiah that should have been exalted and should have been praised for from all of Israel. But instead, he was scorned and he was ridiculed and he was crucified. But he was also raised up from the dead. This is part of God's plan. Jesus most certainly was and is the Messiah. Continuing on verses 34 through 36 now, he's still talking about this and he says, For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So he's quoted several different passages, bringing it down and, and letting them see this is talking about Jesus. God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, I don't know exactly what type of a person Peter would have been. You know, it kind of seems like, of course, he was he was a very strong-willed person. Maybe he even kind of pointed his finger. Maybe he got very adamant about proclaiming this part right here, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. But you got to wonder, those people who are in this crowd, what do you do at that point? What do you do with that information? Which, by the way, the information that Jesus is the Messiah and that the scriptures point to Jesus, you've got to do something about that because it, it just demands a response. And they want to know, well, what do we do about that? That's where we get this, this beloved passage and, and this well-known passage, one of my favorite verses of Acts 2.38. But it's all in response to this sermon. Peter has just got to this point and says, look, God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So this was the message. They want to know, after they realize they have just crucified the Messiah, all these scriptures were pointing to the Messiah, they crucified him, and his name was Jesus. What do we do? What they needed to do is they needed to repent, they needed to be baptized, they needed to do all of these things in the name of Jesus in order to receive forgiveness of sins, and then they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. That same Holy Spirit that was just poured out upon the church on the day of Pentecost. And he says, this promise is for all of these people, all whom the Lord our God will call. And we see that, you know, this isn't just enough of the message. I mean, it's a great verse. It's a great couple of verses. It's a wonderful passage. But we also get in verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. See, he's, he said more than just what we have recorded. And sometimes there's also going to be more conversation that has to happen. You know, we don't need to expect to just be able to read Acts 2.38 to somebody and just say, oh, well, that just fixes everything. I know exactly what to do now. No, there were other words connected with Peter's message. And there has to be other words connected with our message as well. Sometimes we have to help people connect these dots and get them to realize the Old Testament, the New Testament are all talking about Jesus. He was the Christ. He is the Christ. He's raised from the dead. This is good news. Why is it good news to us? How is it good news to us? Sometimes we have to go into greater detail explaining those things to people. After all, how many other people who lived and died 2,000 years ago still affect you today? I would say there's very few people, really I, I doubt there's really anybody who lived 2,000 years ago who directly impacts your life today except Jesus Christ. You might also argue that there could perhaps be some other people connected with him like Paul and some of the other apostles who spread the message, but still it all comes down to this power that is through Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. Now, this message, though, carries over, and we see that it's not just about Peter right here, but in the next chapter, we're going to see that um, there is a miracle that takes place. So the church starts doing miracles, and after that miracle takes place, then Peter gets an opportunity 
in that in that case he's got some other people with him uh, although I guess actually technically even in Acts 2 he's got some other people with him too we just have Peter's uh, message recorded but in Acts 3 we see that Peter's there with John and they heal this man and then after they heal this man then people are kind of wondering how did this happen what is going on what type of power is among us so in Acts 3 let's see their defense and let's notice that they point to Jesus Christ he is the one who all the scriptures point to and he is the one through which gives the church its power in Acts 3 verses 11 through 16 while the man held that's the man who was just healed while the man held on to Peter and John all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's colonnade when Peter saw this he said to them fellow Israelites why does this surprise you why do you stare at us if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk the god of abraham isaac and jacob the god of our fathers has glorified his servant jesus you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before pilate though he had decided to let him go you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you you killed the author of life but god raised him from the dead we are witnesses of this by faith in the name of jesus this man whom you see and know was made strong it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So even in this passage, we see that he's pointing to, look, Jesus has been glorified. He's the one who is the servant. He is the one who has the power. It's nothing special about Peter. It's nothing special about John. Yes, they were great men, but they were mere men. Jesus is the Christ. He's the one who, even right here, Peter goes on and he says, look, y'all have messed up. We as a nation have messed up. That was, his, that, that was his message to these people. But he goes on into even greater details. You know, at this point, he's just saying, well, it's in the name of Jesus. It's in the power of Jesus that this man is healed. But the message gets deeper. Verses 17 through 26, he says, now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who he has appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. And he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from his people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So this is the message that Peter proclaims. Peter mentions in verse 18, he says, look, God has fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer. Okay, he's even talking right here that all of the prophets proclaim this message. The message was the Messiah is going to suffer. We see in verse 20 that the Messiah most certainly is Jesus Christ. No doubt about it whatsoever. In verse 24, even beginning with Samuel, all the prophets have spoken, have foretold these days. Peter's message is pretty plain. 
All of the prophets have looked forward to that day, that day in which Jesus was going to come and be revealed. See, the point of Scripture, at least part of the point of Scripture, is to reveal Jesus Christ in our midst. That's what Peter has said in Acts 2. That's what he said in Acts 3. We also find other passages. Let's just briefly look at two more uh, before we end uh, the, this lesson. And I mean, we're going to continue looking at the point of Scripture. And there's, there's a lot more, of course, that we could still look at. But let's fast forward a few more chapters into Acts chapter 8. And let's see how it's not just Peter, but it's also the rest of the early church who notice this as well. And who see that Scripture is talking about and pointing to Jesus Christ. In Acts 8, we see this amazing story about this Ethiopian eunuch, and he was uh, going um, to the temple to worship, and then as he was coming back, we see that, that he is uh, reading from Isaiah the prophet, and Philip has been told by the Holy Spirit to go um, to that chariot, and this is the conversation that happens. Acts 8, verses 30 through 35. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The, Philip asked, uh, I'm sorry, the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And of course, just a few verses later, we see that, uh, that the Ethiopian eunuch, he puts his faith and trust in Jesus. And as they're going on the, the, their journey, they pass over some water. And he says, look, here's some water. Why can't I just be baptized right here and right now? Philip says, you can. And that's what they do. That's, of course, a bit of a paraphrase. But here at the heart of what happens and what convinces this man is he's reading from Isaiah the prophet and he has a question. Who is this prophet talking about? Hmm. Who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? 35. Philip, he began with that very passage of scripture. Now, I don't think that it really matters all that much what specific passage of scripture Philip was going to begin with. It just so happens it's a wonderful passage that points to Jesus quite plainly. But Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. That's a great exercise for us to be able to do, isn't it? For us to be able to begin wherever that person is that we're talking with and be able to tell them the good news about Jesus from that scripture, beginning at that very passage of scripture. Can we do that? It seems the early church could. I hope that the church of our day can learn this talent, this skill as well, that we can understand Jesus is at the heart of all of the scriptures. One final passage, though, if we fast forward again now to the book, uh, still in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, we've seen um, Peter, we've seen Philip does this. Now we're going to see a passage from Paul. And I want you to notice the point that actually Paul does, because he's gone um, past what Philip even did. See, Philip began at that passage where the Ethiopian eunuch was. Now, Paul is addressing a people who don't necessarily know the scriptures all that well. But then he actually uses other things outside the scriptures and say, even these things point to Jesus in some way or another. That's what Paul's able to do. In Acts chapter 17, 
This is Paul preaching a sermon, another wonderful sermon. I love Acts 2. I love Acts 17. There's other passages as well. But among this, Paul says this, verses 26 through 34. From one man, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear uh, you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Diocinus, a member of the Areopagus, also uh, a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So here in this passage, we see that, that Paul actually gives us, he goes beyond sort of what we're looking at even here in this, uh, in this lesson. Uh, he goes beyond just that the point of scripture is to point to Jesus, but he's also saying, look, he, he's quoting from other poets, like non-inspired poets. This isn't in the Bible, but he starts with what they know. And he says, look, these things are true. These things point us to Jesus. They point us specifically to God, of course, but then he says that God has has set up a time. You know, now he's calling everybody to repent. That's what verse 30 is about. He says that he's appointed this, this man, that he has raised up from the dead. Now, whenever they heard about a man being raised up from the dead, I mean, who doesn't get somewhat interested in that and wonder, well, what does that mean? You know, what's the rest of this story? And with that, Paul explains more about Jesus, more about Jesus from from where they were at. He starts where they are at. I hope we can learn this skill from the early church that the point of scripture is to reveal Jesus to us, to reveal Jesus to other people as well. I hope that we can learn that whatever passage we might be reading, it can lead us to Jesus Christ. It can get us to see the climax of the story of history is that Jesus made a way for us who are sinners to be saved. And Jesus is, is still working. He's still working on our individual lives. He's still working within the church. And he's going to, to bring us into a, a wonderful, glorious state in the future. A state in which we can live with God, be with God, right there with him and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit forever. Uh, that's like the climax of all of history. We see that the scriptures point to Jesus. Let's make sure that we read them and study them and point others to Jesus Christ as well.